0: Reading from the Heidelberg Catechism today is Lord's Day 39, which is just question and answer 104. Let's read this responsively. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline and also that I be patient with their failings. For by their hand, God wills to rule us. Let us pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness, to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we've returned to our series in the Ten Commandments, and we really can't say this enough that when we approach the Ten Commandments in the Catechism, it is in the gratitude section of the Catechism. We have guilt and grace and gratitude. And uh, we, re- we have to remind ourselves of this because we have to remember that we don't obey the law in order to be delivered from our sins as though we could measure up enough to do so. But we obey the law because we have been delivered from our sins. As a way of saying thank you to God with our whole lives. Guilt has already been explained. Grace has already been explained. The grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. Now, we give thanks. We show with our whole selves our gratitude to the Lord. And the Ten Commandments show us what this gratitude looks like. It is our guide now, and what the old theologians used to call evangelical obedience, meaning it's not slavish obedience. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. We have a, gospel, uh, a, a gospel-sourced obedience now, and the Ten Commandments are our wonderful guide in the Christian life. What does that gratitude look like? It looks like loving God and loving our neighbors, We have those two tables of the law. Well, we arrived today at the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And so we've arrived at the second table of the law. Now, all the commandments, when obeyed, are offered to God. But it is commandments 5 through 10 of that second table which especially show us how to love God by uh, fulfilling our duties to our fellow men and women. And so uh, we we recognize here that among our neighbors are our parents. And there is a a righteous way to interact with those who are in authority over us, whether our actual parents or more broadly, those who uh, exercise a kind of parental authority over us, symbolically speaking. But first, we have to recognize the ground of this commandment, and that is that God is our father. God is our heavenly father. The catechism answer here uh, has parents and all those in authority over me in mind when it says at the very end, for by their hand, God wills to rule us. Now, we may not like that, but that is the the teaching of Holy Scripture. God has not left this world to anarchy. Uh, we, We see what it looks like from time to time, what it looks like when God... Gives people over or nations over, even just incrementally to their sins. It looks like utter chaos. We've uh, lived through a couple of years of that kind of thing globally, and the news has shown it to us. But he has not left this world utterly in anarchy and chaos. He has put parental figures, again, whether actual parents or authority figures that have a a, 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 uh, paternal and maternal function in the world, so that the world would experience God's own rule. So we don't speak of the fatherhood of God in the abstract, as though he's a father and we'll experience it one day. No, by the, the authorities that God has placed in the world, now God seeks to rule us. And so parents and all those in authority over us reveal the fatherly function of our father in heaven. There is a, a certain but very, very limited sense in which we can say that God is the father of all his creatures. Uh, believers and non believers, humans and non humans. For instance, Psalm 104 depicts God in, in a very paternal, fatherlike ways as he abundantly provides for all people and animals on the earth. It says that all creatures look to him in their season. You know, they, they look to him, he opens his hand, he provides. Uh, whether for, uh, for those who live in the most civilized parts of the world or a lion that no one will ever see with their own eyes. God, in a certain way, with a fatherly care, provides for all people, all animals, all his creatures. But in the truest sense, God is the father only of his elect through Jesus Christ. We are adopted children of God. The catechism teaches us in an earlier part. We are adopted children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only natural Son of God. He's the natural and eternal Son of God. We are adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. God has brought us into His family, into His household, and Jesus Himself tells us to call upon God as our Father. Isn't that interesting? That when the disciples ask Jesus... How should we pray? What was uncommon in the Old Testament, which is to call God Father, is now central to our prayer life in the New Testament. You call upon God as your Father. Now, this is where we have to start when it comes to obeying this commandment. All authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. If it is true authority, then it comes from God Himself. And therefore, everyone in an authority position mimics God, whether they like it or not, whether they use this authority for good or for ill, because all true authority comes from God. See, it can be wielded in wicked ways, but the authority is from God. They have a parent-like function that God himself has given to them. And this is especially true, obviously, of parents with their own children. So God is our Father, and that is the ground of this commandment. Secondly, parents are to be God's representatives. Um, we've already be- begun to speak about this very thing. And here, because especially we'll, we'll handle this commandment in various ways in years to come, we're going to get to the basics of it today, since it's the first time we've looked at it together, and focus here on that relationship between parents and parents. And children rather than the broader category of all those who are in authority. Okay, so we, we put that in the shelf of our mind. We remember the commandment has a much broader uh, scope to it. That's something that we could look at in Scripture together, but we'll save that for another time. And the second thing I want to say, by way of a qualification, is that I'm not dealing today with exceptions. There are always exceptional things that, that come into our families. We have difficulties with the parental and child relationship of all sorts, some in our control and some not. And so I'm just not speaking directly to the exceptions today. I trust that the, the exceptions not only prove the rule and the norm, but also that our, our experience of those exceptions, which are usually painful, um, are, are clear enough. Okay, So we're dealing today with what are the norms, the broad categories and scope of this commandment. And the, the norm is that parents are to be God's representatives. There are especially two passages in Paul's letters that speak to this. One is in Colossians 3 and 4, which we read. And the other is in a parallel passage in Ephesians 5 and 6. And what we find there are that our earthly relationships are meant to paint a heavenly picture. Kind of all of our relationships, but especially the relationships within our own households. So Paul makes it very clear that in marriage... Husbands and wives are meant to mimic the relationship between Christ and the church. A, an earthly relationship that paints a heavenly picture. Similarly, even with slaves or servants and their masters. It's supposed to be like Christ and the subjects of his kingdom. Okay. An earthly relationship with a, a heavenly picture. Uh, and by the way, the, the rough edges of that command I've, I've dealt with in a, a the uh, Ephesians passage in previous time, so I'm just not speaking to the difficulties involved with the command towards uh, slaves and masters there. But it is no different with children and parents. Uh, through mothers and fathers, children are meant to get the best possible glimpse of the love and the mercy and the holiness of God. That's where they are are given the opportunity to best see what God is like. Earthly relationship, painting a heavenly picture. Now, the commandment to honor your parents is obviously directed toward children. The most precise way of handling this is to say the commandment comes to the children. Kids, you are called upon by Almighty God to honor and love and obey your parents. However, the commandment doesn't function properly if parents don't teach the commandment. It must be taught, it must be exemplified, it must be fleshed out in the life of a home. So for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is dealing with this specific commandment, quotes it, and now he applies it this way. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Or in Colossians chapter 3, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So in two different, in, in two different uh, uh, contexts, Paul speaks directly to fathers and says, don't provoke, whether to anger or to discouragement. It's almost as though the Word of God reads us, knows something about us that we have trouble seeing in ourselves. Now, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger or to discouragement. Now, it is, it is true that children must obey their parents. It is true that children have... By nature, a certain awareness of this commandment, because this law is written on our hearts uh, by nature. But children's parents must equip them over time to actually obey it. Not only because God requires this of parents, but also because a child's understanding of who God is and what he is like will come from his or her parents. A child's picture of the Heavenly Father is inescapably formed by earthly parents. There's no way around this. This, is, this has been uh, put into the very makeup of the relationship between children and their parents. And out of so many things that Paul could have focused on, he emphasizes that we are not to provoke our children, uh, rather, whether to anger or to discouragement. There are a few things deadlier to a child's conception of God than these two. Anger that leads to resentment, discouragement that that makes a child feel as though he or she cannot ever be pleasing in the sight of God. And this is also why I think, as we read in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has this emphasis on the opposite end of the spectrum. If we're on one end of the spectrum which is provoking to anger and discouragement, On the other end of the spectrum, Jesus says, even you who are evil know how to give good things to your children. That's what God's like. He's way better than you at it. (laughs) But even you have this impulse to give good things to your children. So give. Give to your children. Equip your children. Raise them up. Show them not to be discouraged because they have a heavenly father uh, who loves them. Um, So don't provoke on one end, negatively speaking, and, and provide on the other end of the spectrum. Show what God is like. He's kind and gracious to his children. Parents, you are God's representatives. And through you, children are meant to experience the gracious reign of God. It is a reign. God is the king, and he is holy and righteous. And we are to fear him, and to teach our children to fear him, of course. But it is a gracious reign. Jesus Christ reigns in grace on behalf of his people to lift us up, uh, to exalt us in due time. So indeed, uh, children, kids, boys and girls, obey your parents. Obey your parents. This is pleasing to the Lord. It pleases your Heavenly Father when you obey your parents. Uh, But parents also equip them to carry out that obedience. Over time, with patience, not with provocation but by providing for their needs. Lastly, we obey this command only through Christ. Only through Christ. If if your ears are not aware yet, your conscience probably is already aware that you've heard a whole bunch of you musts and you shoulds. uh, Because these words prick the conscience and expose our failures deeply. Uh, I think we all know that um, in exercising our various roles of authority in life, we are constantly failing before the Lord. And we can't hide this. We can hide it sometimes from one another, probably not from our spouses, uh, probably not from our children, but we can hide it from those uh, outside of our homes with some skill. We definitely cannot hide it from God. Um, Likewise, kids... This commandment has a lot to do with you. It says to honor and obey your parents. And that's not always easy to do, is it? I have a feeling that sometimes you don't like it when your parents tell you to clean your room or help with chores. Or stop yelling at uh, your your brother or sister. But the commandment is for you. Even now while you're young, learn to obey your mother and your father. Show them honor and respect. Be patient with them. Uh, That's absolutely the case here. Uh, So we all have failings, no matter our age, no matter the life stage we find ourselves in. We all have failings, whether parents or children. And so the question then is, how do we actually then obey the commandments and have a clear conscience as we do so? And the answer is only through Christ. As we've learned, the only kind of good works that are truly good works are those which proceed from true faith in Jesus Christ, clinging to the one who is holy and pure Only there, only then, can we obey any of the commandments, including this one. You must cling to Christ, and only then will this commandment become a delight to you. This Lord Jesus, to whom we cling, offers us several benefits that are specific to this commandment and to learning how to obey it. First, he reminds you that he alone is the obedient son. There has never been a perfectly obedient child except for Jesus Christ. You probably already knew that. Uh, he is the only one. Parents, your standing before God does not rest on how obedient your children are. Now, it indicates something about your relationship with your kids. That's, that's certainly true. But you're not righteous before God. Based on the level of obedience of your children. Only Christ is the obedient Son of God. Um, And related to this, your child's standing before God is also not dictated by his or her obedience, because Jesus is the only obedient Son, the only obedient child. So show your children the Lord Jesus Christ, teach them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only Christ has not. don't, Don't comfort yourself and your failings as a parent with the gospel and then withhold it from your children and indicate either by your words or by your example that you get to heaven by grace, but they get in by obeying. It's a fine line. Give them Jesus Christ. The same comfort you find in the wounds of Jesus Christ are for your children as well So give them the Lord Jesus, Um, even as you teach them this commandment, give them Jesus. They must obey, that's true, that is a holy and righteous standard, but show them that Christ alone has perfectly obeyed it on their behalf. Second, another benefit that Jesus gives is that he forgives you. He forgives you of these particular failures. Parents provoking your children and mothers are not off the hook here, even though uh, Paul speaks directly to fathers, because elsewhere, the parents are it's shown that they are a team in raising their children. Hopefully that goes without saying, uh, but I just want to make that clear. We're not fundamentalists. And uh, so parents can together team up in provoking children to anger and discouragement and other other things. Um, And that is indeed a terrible sin to do that. Failing to teach them the ways of the Lord is also a terrible sin. It's it's a sin of of omission, where we neglect something that God has commanded us to do. But the blood of Christ cleanses you from those sins daily. You you must remember that he has cleansed you of your sins. Um, Kids, boys and girls, speaking to you a lot today. You need to know that disobeying your parents is a terrible sin. It is displeasing to your Heavenly Father when you won't obey your parents. But Jesus' blood cleanses you of that sin. And when you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, He will give you power more and more each day to obey and honor your parents and to love them as He's commanded you to. Jesus forgives you of these infractions against His holy law. And uh, a third benefit to point out here is that Jesus brings you to the Father. Jesus brings you to the Father. Kids, your parents want you to know, they really do want you to know, that God, your Heavenly Father, is kind and gracious. He is tender-hearted. Your parents want you to know that. He loves His children. But parents, you must remember this yourself. You are also God's children. Psalm 103 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's not as though God forgets that we are horrible, that that we are frail, that we're made of the stuff of the earth, and that we rely completely on the spirit of life to be breathed into us in order to function at all, and that we rely completely on Jesus Christ and abiding in him to do anything faithful for apart from him we can do nothing. It's not as though God the Father has forgotten us. He knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust and he has compassion on those who fear him. He's not just uh, the father of, of your children. He is your heavenly father as well. And he is your father for the sake of Christ, his son. And he will not break that bond because Christ has earned that status for you. God will not turn the light of his face away from you as though he's no longer your father, because Christ is the one who's earned this status of child on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of our frailty and failures, let us remember this compassion from God that is offered to us in the gospel. And with his help, let us honor our father and mother and also teach our children to do the same. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily proved by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children, and so putting to shame the wise and the understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives And so give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given to us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit are one God, forever blessed and magnified. Amen.